But just to kind of remind you guys, uh, for you guys, for y'all who regularly attend Bemis, um, I told you recently that I want to spend the next several weeks or the next several months really going a lot deeper into what it means and what it looks like to have sold out allegiance to Jesus Christ. And that's my new word for the summer, allegiance, because I think that is a powerful, powerful, powerful word. We talk about being disciples, we talk about being followers, but I think allegiance carries just a little bit more emphasis to it. It's a little bit more emphatic. What does our allegiance to Jesus Christ look like? One of the primary beliefs, if not the primary belief, of all Protestant churches, all Protestant traditions, is that the grace of God, the death and the resurrection of Jesus saves us from our sin and that it reconciles us into a perfect and a right relationship with God, with our Creator, free of any condemnation whatsoever. But what we need to understand is that salvation doesn't end there. Christianity doesn't end there. If anything, that's just the start. That is the tip of the iceberg. Thinking or being told that the idea of Christianity is about my prayer. We talked about this a lot. I mentioned this last week. But thinking or being sold this idea that Christianity is all about my personal salvation has served to create me-centered Christians. And it becomes a me-centered gospel that would be completely foreign to Jesus, to the early disciples, to the early church. Christianity, church, I know we may believe this when we say we may believe this on the surface, but Christianity, folks, is not about us. Christianity is about Jesus. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, we need to understand and we need to rethink what that term means, that term Christian. So that's where we're going over the next uh, several weeks, over the next maybe a couple months or so. We've talked, I know, I know, I know, Bemis, we've talked about this stuff a great deal over the last couple of years, but we're going to go deeper into it. Some of what we're going to talk about may be challenging to you, and that's okay because Jesus was a pretty challenging guy. Last week we talked about approaching the Scriptures, how we interpret the Scriptures, how we approach the Scriptures, and one of the first things that I told you is that we, when we approach Scripture, the first and foremost we approach it we interpret it through the lens of what we know about Jesus Christ. In other words, we interpret it through the lens of the person of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about approaching the church. We're going to talk about approaching the church through the lens of Christ. What does a Jesus-centered church look like? How did Jesus envision his church? Here's a quick definition that I kind of came up with for church. A Jesus-centered church. A Jesus-centered church, in my opinion... Is a group of people who belong to a community under the lordship of Jesus Christ who are called to live their lives, who are called to live life together for the kingdom of God in the here and now. Let me kind of repeat that to you. A Jesus-centered church is a group of people belonging to a community under the lordship of Jesus Christ who are called to live the life of the kingdom of God together in the here and now. We're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God in the coming weeks as well. Most of y'all should have a pretty, pretty, foundation, pretty good foundational idea of what we mean when we talk about the kingdom of God and how we live that out here on earth through the teachings of Jesus, through the person of Christ. So we're going to really dive into that in the coming weeks. But for right now, just, just, just think of us as a community. Think of us as a community doing life together. That's one of the popular phrases today. Doing life together, living life together. For what purpose? To display, to live out the kingdom of God in the here and now. Because there's a serious problem, church. There's a serious, serious issue 
with the overall church, I would say particularly the overall church in the West. We live in a very individualistic world. We live in a time and a place where we are more connected than ever, yet loneliness is a widespread epidemic. We live in a time where we have access to almost infinite information, infinite people, infinite news, but where community, real togetherness, is crumbling all around us. How many of y'all know the names of your surrounding neighbors? All of them? <laughs> Not a lot. I'll confess to you, I don't know the name of the person who lives across the street from me. And I hate to admit that to you, but I don't. There is a breakdown in community. There's also a breakdown in community regarding the church. Violence is all around us. Uh, we seem to be becoming more, more and more polarized in our world. Our culture, and this is why I believe, our culture places so much emphasis on the individual as the center of every story. And our churches don't tend to be much different than that. Centering our lives on our individual selves instead of centering them on the divine, instead of centering them on God, instead of centering them on Jesus, has created and fostered patterns of living for me as opposed to living for Jesus and as opposed to living for God's kingdom. We have been, we have, we have been programmed. We have been conditioned to focus on, focus on how am I doing we're taught that achieving our personal goals and how much we're able to produce is what makes us successful in society. We strive to be better than the generation that came before us instead of maybe working together to make our world better for the generation that's next to come. Extreme self-focus is so much the norm that we fail to see how making ourselves the authority on all things both disobeys God and dishonors our brothers and our sisters. As I said, this rugged sense of individualism has, that we've been taught has reached into our faith and it's reached into our theology. So very often we have this, we believe in a gospel of personal privilege. What do you mean by that? A gospel that says that God is always on my side. God will always protect me. God will bless me. And God will answer my prayers. There may be some truth in that, folks. Let me ask you this. What about the other person? What about the other person sitting next to you? What about the other people in your church? Are your prayers the same as your brother's and your sister's prayers, for example? The Christian life does not center on me. God certainly cares about the individual. Don't mistake what I'm saying. But it is not a self-centered, individualistic religion. And it is a religion, by the way. We are invited not into a gospel of self-focused individualism, but a gospel of participation. Participation, a gospel that calls us to recognize the lordship of Jesus, to partner with him, to partner with his community, which we call the church, to bring about his kingdom. A gospel that calls us to be on the side of God, to be the blessing and to be the conduit of God's love and grace and mercy to the world around us. Take a look at this scripture real quick. You say, my goodness, he's just now getting to the scripture. We are going to be here a minute. It's not indicative of the length of the sermon, I promise. Um, so this is, this is just a, a piece of scripture from, from uh, Philippians. It's, it's a letter to the church of Philippi uh, written, by, written by the Apostle Paul. And actually, as I, as I was preparing, y'all ought to be very, very familiar with this service. This is about, with this uh, particular scripture, this is about the fourth time I think I've, pre, I've utilized it in a sermon since I've been at Bemis. But usually, usually it's uh, verses 5 through 11, but, but today it's going to be verses uh, 1 through 4. Uh, Philippians 
five? Is it five? No, yeah, Philippians two. I'm sorry, one through four. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, you, no, no, take, just take a look at these words now, and let me go ahead and preface this with this. I was going to say it after after we went the script after we read the scripture. Let me let me go ahead and preface this with this. One of the things that we talked about recently when we went through our Wednesday night study on how to read the Bible is how important it is for us to understand who this Bible was written to. In other words, which books of the Bible are written to what kind of audience? In other words, we need to know we need we need to know who wrote the book. We need to know the motive of that person writing the book, and we need to know who that book was written to if we're going to faithfully and honestly interpret Scripture. So many of us approach Scripture. What are you getting at, Pastor? So many of us approach Scripture as if this verse was written directly towards me. It's not, okay? There's certainly stuff that we glean from Scripture. There's certain morality and ethics and all that good stuff we learn as individuals that it that forms us individually into the image of Christ. It's found in Scripture, certainly. But the vast majority of Scripture isn't written to one person. It's written to a group of people. It's written to churches. Philippians was written to a church. Certainly there are individual applications here, as you can see after I, after I read it in a second. But these letters are written to a church. These are instructions for a church, not just individuals, for a church, for a gathered body of believers. This is what your church should look like, your community, your fellowship. So get that into our heads. This is written for groups of people, entire groups of people. Look, check out some of the language that's used here. If any of you, if you have any encouragement from being united, united, unified, united with Christ, if there is any comfort from His love, if any common, common sharing... You don't share with yourself, do you? You share with the community. You share with the body. Common sharing in the Spirit. If any tenderness and compassion make my joy complete by being like-minded, unity, having the same love, being in one Spirit, unity, and in one mind, unity. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Now, this, of course, can apply to individuals and entire communities. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in all humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. One more time, that is written for churches. That is what our churches should look like. Pretty much anything you're going to read from the Apostle Paul is written to churches, not individuals, not people. Again, certainly we can apply this as individuals. Certainly, we can, we can, we can exercise humility. We can, we can place the value of others above ourselves. We also do this as a gathered body of believers. This is also our call as individual, what we call in our denomination local churches. This is what our churches look like. Not a lot of individuality in the New Testament. Not a lot of me-centered spirituality in the New Testament. It's always, always, always others-centered. Does God care about me as an individual? Absolutely God cares about us as individuals. But it ain't about me, y'all. It's about each other. And it's about Jesus. And this is just one of many, 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 many scriptures that are reflective of that. 
Jesus and the writers of the Bible, such as Paul, knew that the way of Jesus was beyond any individual. Think about this. Jesus himself lived and existed in community. It's a basic doctrine of all churches. We believe in this concept called the Trinity. God, one person, three beings, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing in perfect unity together in community. God, Jesus not only lived in community with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he lived in community with those 12 disciples that he spent every day with for three years. This is the idea that we get. This is not an individual following, church. This is a communal, communal effort. Communal effort. It's not about individuals. We are invited into relationships to live out the kingdom of Jesus in community. We bring about this kingdom one act of love at a time. And that necessitates, it makes necessary human connection. It makes necessary interaction. It makes necessary communion. And it makes necessary love of others. Our faith isn't meant to be so privately hidden that we forget to be the light of Jesus to the world. Regardless of what some of us may have been told, regardless of what some of us may have been taught, our faith is not mostly about getting all of our beliefs, all of our doctrines, and all of our theology right. Our faith at its very core is about submitting to Jesus as the revealer of who God is. That's exactly what we talked about last week. We get to reveal that. That's an honor and a privilege. We get to reveal the character and the essence of God and Jesus inside of our churches, outside of our churches, in our schools, in our workplaces. And Jesus is our model for our way of life. Our faith should increasingly, increasingly, and if it's not, I implore you to start digging a little deeper and start talking a little more honest to God that our faith should be increasingly more and more less about me and more about we. We are not created to live individual lives community is at the heart of the gospel. It's at the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. The world should be able to look at us collectively as a whole. The world should be able to look at us as the body of Christ and see what Christ is like. See what God is like. They should see a Jesus who loves the outsider, who heals the sick and includes the rejected. A Jesus who challenges systems of power rather than cozying up to them. They should be able to see a Jesus who rejects violence and the abuse of power. They should be able to see a Jesus who draws people to him, who forgives the sinner, who brings those who are dead back to life, and a Jesus of sacrifice who pours out his life for the unworthy. They should see Jesus collectively through us as a God of love. In Christ, we no longer live for ourselves, church to declare that Jesus is Lord. And that's something y'all hear me say so much. To declare that Jesus is Lord means that we are no longer the center of our little universes. The communal God, the God of community, invites us to be in communion with him, with each other, to partner with him and bring in good in all situations to all people, all creation. And until that day comes when we experience that renewed life, that renewed earth, that renewed heaven, that's our, that's our job. That is our job and that's our calling to expose the kingdom of God, to infiltrate, infiltrate 
the evil around us, the meanness around us, the violence around us, with the love, the mercy, and the grace of the kingdom of God. Not just one person here and there, not just one really enlightened Christian here and there, but a bunch of messed up Christians working together to try to do some good. Showing people what that kingdom of God looks like. I want to give you just... I don't, I don't know that, I, that I've done a very good job expressing what I wanted to express today, but I, so I, but I do want to give you a few suggestions of how you might be able to do this. If you're struggling with this idea, if you're struggling with this concept, if, if you, if you, if you, if you know, you know <laughs> I know this is new to some people. I know getting away from this me-centered spirituality is, is a new concept to people. I tell people every time, all, the, all the time, I didn't learn to get away from self-centeredness inside the church walls. I learned getting away from self-centeredness through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. That organization actually does a better job at it. But it's gospel-oriented. It is the gospel all day long. Christianity, following Christ, being disciples of Christ, is not, not, not a me-centered religion or a me-centered spiritual path. It's all about Christ, and it's all about other people. And we have our culture that is fighting us tooth and nail, tooth and nail against that concept. So I want to give you some ideas, just, just, a, just a few simple ideas. If you do struggle with this, here's some things that you can actually put into practice right here and right now. Number one, be present where you are present. Be present where you are. God placed you. God placed us where we are. He gifted. We talked about spiritual gifts a couple of weeks ago. He gifted us with our particular people and our particular gifts. Be faithful where you are, right here, right now. If you're a part of Beamish United Methodist Church, be faithful here. Be present here. If you're if if you're in the if you, if you wherever you work, wherever you go to school, be present there. All of us want to change the world. I'm one of the most guilty people in the world ever. Who, who, wants to be a, who wants to be a world changer in some way, shape, or form. My wife will tell you that. But sometimes she has to bring me back down to earth. A couple weeks ago, she posted something to our Facebook page. It was a quote by Mother Teresa. It said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. I didn't know whether to take that personally or not. <coughs> but there is absolute truth in that. Quit looking so far away to change the world. Get you, take your doggone eyes off Fox News and CNN and start changing the world where you're planted. Because that's where it starts, and that's where your calling is. We're not going to change it out there. That's not even our role, to tell you the truth. Our role is to be the church. Start in your homes. Start in your workplaces. Start in your schools. Start in your local church, where you already are. What else can we do? Think as a community. Think as a community. Golly, some of the stuff I want to say is going to sound so mean. And I don't want to sound mean. Quit shopping for church. So many church shoppers out there. And that's okay in some areas. Some, sometimes that's all right. Sometimes there, there are good reasons to do that sometimes. But if your motivation is because you, you're looking for the perfect service and the perfect people, the perfect, the perfect worship experience, the perfect daycare, the perfect Sunday school, it ain't going to happen because it doesn't exist. And as much good as we are going to get, and believe me, I have gotten so much good out of my relationship with Christ and out of being part of the community of local churches, 
despite all the good that we are going to receive. The church ain't about you. The church ain't about you. It's about the person sitting next to you and in front of you and behind you. And it's about Jesus. You know, one of, my, one of, the, one of the most often quoted quotations that I remember hearing when I was Parker's age growing up was that quote from John F. Kennedy, ask not what your country can do for you, but what for you can do for your country. And everybody applauded that thing. I remember people, oh, adults all around me, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you said that about the church? <laughs> ask not what the church can do for you. What can you do for your church? Because that's your role. That's my role is to serve. It's not about me getting everything that I like. It's not about me getting my doggone preferences. How many people left this church because of worship services, Kevin? Some. That's ridiculous. That's insane to me. It's about other people. Think communally. What is best for the church? What is not what's best for me, not what I prefer. What is best for the church? What is best for my brothers and sisters? What is best for the community that surrounds me? outside of the church. Think as a communion, as a communal people, not as an individual. God called us to belong to God and to one another. Do some regular soul searching. And y'all know that I talk about this a lot. Never going to grow unless you take a good, honest, and strong look at yourself from time to time. Hopefully we do this daily. That's a really good daily practice. Psalm 139, 23, and 24, the psalmist prays, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Do some self-evaluation. Open up your heart and your mind to the Holy Spirit and let them show you. Let God show you these areas of your life where you're, where you're left wanting. God wants to help us, folks. But it takes a little effort on our part. Listen, really listen to people who are different from you in your church and in your community. Avoid echo chambers. Do y'all know what an echo chamber is? Echo chambers are all these people that we know personally, all of this news that we watch, all this television that we watch, all of this social media that we take in, all this internet that we take in, whether we're talking personal beliefs, whether we're talking uh, religious beliefs, social beliefs, political beliefs, it's all of these things that we take in that we know is already going to reflect our already held opinions and beliefs. And we drown ourselves in that stuff. We don't want to talk about the other people. We don't want to hang around those other people. We don't want to hear what those people have to say. That's our calling, church. <laughs> I love Bemis. I love Bemis for a number of reasons. One of them being is that we have a diverseness here, unlike what, a lot of what you see in our area. What do you mean by that? It means we're racially diverse. It means we're ethnically diverse. It means we are culturally diverse, economically diverse, socially diverse. I said economically. I appreciate that. Not for the sake of being all of those things, but for the simple sake, that's what God's kingdom looks like. And I love seeing people who normally under, and Tony, Tony Mallory pointed this out to me one time. I love seeing people who normally would not associate with each other under any other circumstances conversing, loving, fellowshipping, sharing together inside the walls of this church. Look for people who are different than you in some way, shape, or form. Ways, shapes, or forms. 
involve those people. Spend some time with those people. It may make you a little bit uncomfortable, but it's also going to expand your, your, uh, your appreciation for community. Because they're the people of God too, folks. They're also made in His image. Be empathetic. Let your heart break for the things that break God's heart. Let your heart break for the things that break the hearts of people. And just pray. You know, we, we oftentimes want to um, undermine, undermine the, 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 uh, the importance of prayer. One of my favorite quotes is, is, is this, that, that, that prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. That's, 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 that's Christianity 101 is to talk to God. Christianity 101 is to sit in the presence of God. Christianity 101 is to intercede through prayer on the behalf of our brothers and our sisters and the people around us. That is the work. Of course, we put our hands and our feet to the ground, but you can't, you can't, you can't. Set aside prayer. Prayer is so very important. That's why I've talked about it so, so very much since I've been here. Church is community, folks. It's, it's community. And, and, and uh, I don't know how in the world Christianity managed. I guess I do to a degree. How we managed to make it about me is, is, is pretty much beyond my knowledge, my, my understanding. It never has been that, and it would have been a foreign concept to Christ himself and to the early disciples. Look around. This is this is your brothers and your sisters, and these are these are the people. Oh, here's another here's a, here's another ditty I'll throw out there to you. Yeah, you're accountable to each other. Yeah, when you when you become a member of a body of Christ, your individuality goes out the door. Honestly, most of your privacy should go out the door too. You are accountable to each other. You are accountable to your brothers and sisters. The things that you say, the things that you do on social media, how you conduct yourself out in public, you are accountable to this church and to the church of Jesus Christ as a whole and to each individual that's here. Some of y'all shaking y'all's heads one way, some of y'all shaking y'all's heads the other way. That's all right. That's okay. But yeah, we're accountable. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I enjoy being accountable. Again, didn't learn this one in the church. Learned it from AA first. I enjoy being accountable. I enjoy being as transparent as I believe that I am. And I enjoy people who have the nerve, like Kevin, and, and Paulette and my wife and a couple of others from time to time who will say, Jerry, who will take me aside and say, Jerry, I don't like what you're doing. I think you're making a bad decision. I think whatever. I enjoy that because it, it grows me. It helps me grow as a person. It helps me grow as a pastor, as a Christian, as a father, as a, as a husband. She's smiling ear to ear back there. <laughs> Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the church. We thank you, God, for... Uh, privilege that it is to, uh, to be with our brothers and our sisters, to serve alongside our brothers and our sisters. Thank you, God, for the mission that you've given us to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And we just pray, Lord, that we would embody that spirit. We pray, God, that we would embody that, the wholeness of what that means, God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, God. Fill us with purpose, with mission, and with wisdom and compassion and with empathy to be able to live all of that out in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.